We all fall into one of two camps. There are those that believe Bidenomics is the way forward. And the rest of us who think that's a load of horse <laughs> You want to hear what really great economic ideas sound like? Want to see America back on the road to energy independence? Are you ready to say hell no to illegal immigrants and foreign nationals having any say in our prosperity? Then you, my friend, are in the right place. This is the Eric Bowling Podcast. All right, before we get started, the podcast that you're about to listen to is sponsored by Allegiant Skull. So uh, you, know, you have to really diversify your portfolio if you're going to go forward. And we'll get into a lot of that in the podcast. Because aren't you sick and tired of the web of lies spun by the Biden government concealing the truth about inflation and the value of our dollar? I certainly am. And I'm certain the market volatility fills you with worry, as it should, casting doubt on your ability to retire comfortably. I urge you to look for a secure and reliable investment option for your retirement. Imagine a future where your retirement is protected from the storms of the market volatility and the erosive forces of inflation, recession, government meddling. We have a lot of that and economic uncertainties. Imagine retiring with peace of mind. Can you imagine that? and the freedom to pursue your own dreams. That future, my dear friends, can become your reality, courtesy of Allegiance Gold. Why? Because gold has stood the test of time. It's been a safe haven investment. And now more than ever, you need that safety and insurance for what you've worked so hard for. It's literally protecting your nest egg. Remember, when it comes to protecting your IRA or 401k, trust only the best. That's why my friends at Allegiance Gold have the highest ratings in the precious metals industry. Five stars with TrustLink, the AAA rated with the Business Consumer Alliance, and A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, all of them. You can invest with confidence because Allegiance Gold builds relationships based on integrity, quality, and impeccable service. Get up to $5,000 in free silver on a qualifying purchase when you visit protectwitheric.com today or give them a call at 844-790-9191. That's 844-790-9191. Don't wait. Take control of your retirement today. Call it. Here's the number, 844-790-9191 and speak with one of their experts. They'll answer all of your questions and help you get started on the path to a more secure and prosperous retirement. Time is of the essence. Protect your future with Allegiance Gold. Visit protectwitheric.com or again, that number. Call them up. Call them right now. 844-790-9191. All right, here we go for uh, the second installment of, of the podcast. And, and I'm sitting in New York City um, hotel room and I have CNBC on in the background. The reason why I wanted to keep that on is because I'm watching the price of crude oil rally. Oil, crude oil is rallying. Gasoline prices, if you haven't noticed, folks, gasoline at the pump has been up. I believe it's 30 days in a row. We're seeing another another second round of the Biden Bidenomics oil price shock spike happening as we speak. And so uh, Linda's with me here, as you can hear and see, and Tim Stewart, uh, Lynn, do you want to introduce Tim, president of U.S. Oil and Gas? Go ahead. Absolutely. So Tim Stewart is the president of U.S. Oil and Gas. He's got this awesome initiative called Hands Off My Stove, and he's all about getting the government out of your kitchen as well as getting gas at cheaper prices back into your gas tank. 
And he does it in a great way, in a fun way, in an easy way for us to understand. So we thought it'd be great to have him here with you, Eric, just to kind of talk a little bit about what's actually going on and what's not going on and how Bidenomics is not working for any of us when it comes to energy. Yeah. And so, Tim, let me just set this up a little bit. Uh, President Donald Trump left office. Price of gasoline under $2 a gallon right around when he left. Maybe he left. It was just north of $2 a gallon. But I, I, I spent... I don't know, 18, 17, 18 years in the trading pits in New York. And I traded crude oil and natural gas for the vast majority of that. And never in my life had I seen a situation. I saw I saw $10 barrels of oil. I saw $15 barrels of oil. I saw $140 barrels of oil. But never did I see a barrel of oil go negative. And, and the reason why that's relevant is because it happened under Donald Trump. And if you don't understand what that means, it means somewhere around – 2018, 19, probably a ballpark. There was so much oil in America because of conservatives who want to drill here, drill there, drill everywhere wisely. Cheap fuel fuels a a growing economy. There was so much oil. We were washing oil. There was no more storage. And so oil became, um, rather than a commodity, it became a, a nuisance and people were paying other people to store the darn oil. That's how awash we were in oil and gasoline, as we pointed out, went to under $2 a gallon for a while. We didn't see that. Biden gets into office. Gas goes from the $2 area up to $5 national average, um, which we had never seen before either. A record high price for a national average price a gallon of regular gasoline, not just California, across the country, hit $5. And now for some reason, it, it backs off to three fifty, and Biden is somehow taking a victory lap. Like you just brought oil from... $2 up to 5 but 5 back down to 350 and it's a victory. Problem is, under Bidenomics, it's headed back the wrong way again as we speak. So, Tim, let's bring you in and, and see if anything I said is wrong or anything that, that the way I'm phrasing it or recollecting it is, is wrong. What what does the real boots on the ground, I hate cliches, what does the real oil people, what do the real oil people see is happening in the economy now with oil? You know, Eric, you're exactly right. I've actually got screenshots on my phone when on that day in April of 2020, it was right in the middle of the, the demand collapse from COVID. When we went, I think it was negative 34. Traders were paying $34 not to take a delivery of a barrel of oil. You know, that was some crazy times. And and that collapse happened literally over the course of hours. It was really something. You know, the United States, uh, had, thanks to the in the ingenuity and the innovation and the, the risk-taking of uh, the U.S. oil and gas industry, we became a swing producer. We, we went from 2010 and being net importers of uh, both oil and petroleum, but also natural gas to, to a true swing, uh, swing producers. And actually now we're the second largest exporter of natural gas behind Russia, for, for example. Uh, that, was, that shale revolution is really what made things possible. And, and frankly, the important thing, and you mentioned this about the Trump administration, which is the federal oil and gas asset for the United States is about 25%. That's, that's the, of our old total portfolio of assets, about 25% of that rests on federal lands. And, and President Trump, to his absolute credit, was very, very aggressive in exploiting and moving that asset into a, a position where uh, it had a real, a real um, impact on, on prices and production in the United States. Biden administration came in and shut that down. Uh, we were just in the process of crawling out of that COVID demand collapse when the Biden administration came in. And they're, they're on, on day one, they implemented what I call the most unfavorable regulatory and political environment my industry has ever seen. And we've been fighting that for two and a half years. 
the, the Biden administration, in my honest opinion, Eric, can take credit for absolutely nothing in terms of, uh, with the exception, the only thing they can take credit they can, can take credit for is actually the the spike in prices and the, the collapse in leasing. Uh, we we've we have been able to crawl out of that uh, and bring prices back down despite what they have done and uh, those regulatory obstacles they put in place. But the fact of the matter is that we're going to need oil and gas for the next for the foreseeable future for the next 30, 40, 50 years. And despite their their unicorn promises and rainbow blessings that we're not the oil and gas is going to go away in 10 years, we're not. It's just it's not a physical reality that it will happen. So but I, th- I think the way you characterize it is absolutely true. Uh, we are very good at what we do and we need to have the opportunity to do what we need to do. So, And, and cheap fuel, if you don't understand why this is so important, the cheap fuel is what, what supports a, a vibrant economy. If, if the cost of trucking or transportation or, or flying goods, you know, from East coast to West coast or, or, or vice versa spikes, prices go up. And that's what we saw. So day one or week one, the Biden administration pulled the Keystone pipeline. And it's I, Tim, you, we can talk a little bit about how important the Keystone pipeline is or isn't, but it's a metaphor for, for what their administration was really all about. It may not have done a lot for the price of oil, but by pulling it, they, they gave notice to your industry and to the world that they were going to be tough on fossil fuels and and move the program to green fuels, which frankly aren't ready, or green energy, which frankly is not, it's not ready for prime time. So they pull a plug on Keystone, but they also pull a plug on, on leasing. Prices start to spike. Prices for everything spike. Now I'm watching CNBC for, you know, the last 30 years. I will tell you that the big issue is, is inflation. So we watch CPI, watch corn inflation. We've, we try and figure out why prices are going so high. We try the the Fed is in charge of making sure prices don't go. So here's what happens. So gasoline spikes, food spikes, everything spikes, clothes spike, rent spikes, house spikes, cars spike. Everything goes up because the price of fuel went up. And then the Fed has to come in and say, we need to fix this. So they raise interest rates on everyone and they blow out interest rates People get smoked. They can't buy can't buy cars anymore. They can't buy homes anymore. They can't afford to buy big ticket items anymore. And the economy comes to a grinding halt. So it's a vicious cycle. My point is this: everything, everything we pay for, I don't care what hot dog to a, a rent or a hotel room, is tracking the price of oil, and no matter what. And so when these Democrats come in, Biden, Obama, whomever, and tell the world. They're they're ready to pull the rug out on cheap fuel because it's a fossil fuel. Uh, they're literally saying we're going to ri- raise your cost of living and we don't really care. Am I right? You're right. I mean, there's 6,000 different consumer products that use petroleum or petrochemicals as the base ingredient for what they do. It's everything from batteries to toothbrushes. And and, and that extends all across the economy, like you said. You know, I, I grew up on a farm. My brothers are still running the family farm. And the fact of the matter is a year and a half ago when diesel prices were what they were, uh, that has a direct impact on agriculture. Uh, it has a direct impact on transportation, has a direct impact at, at, at the price of the pump, but also at the grocery store. And so what Americans saw in that, that inflationary, uh, huge inflationary pressures, like you mentioned, uh, that was largely due in, in, in fact, to the fact that the, that uh, energy, energy prices had skyrocketed so, so much. The administration, that was so frustrating, is they just were tone deaf on this. And, and to your point of day one, Keystone XL, 
I have a list of 161 different regulatory actions that the, the Biden administration has put in place since January of 2021, which has made it harder for my industry to actually produce oil and gas. And it ranges everything from canceling of that pipeline and sort of screwing up the, the North American energy portfolio and the way that energy has moved around to to gas stoves, to, you know, tailpipe emissions uh, and EV uh, uh, mandates as well. 161 different individual actions which they have taken uh, to make energy more expensive and less reliable. You said something that was really important, I thought, uh, with regards to the, the difference between a first world economy and a third world economy is the price and the availability and the reliability of energy. That's just the bottom line. And they're moving us into this position of, frankly, third world energy reliability and stability for the purpose of chasing, honestly, a, a green a, a green agenda that is not realistic. Linda pointed out last week that the, the joke of this whole push to have the whole fleet, the American fleet, cars, trucks, buses, everything electric, is that we the grid, a, number one, the grid could never handle that type of load pull. And number two, we couldn't even supply it without going to coal, natural gas, and others. And, and for some reason, everyone... Why aren't we embracing nuclear, Tim? Well, again, I, I, this is my personal uh, my personal philosophy. Right. But you know, the 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 green agenda, the green philosophy is that there are things that are pure, doctrinally pure, dogma pure versus not. And nuclear, many years ago, was put on that list of something that is unpure and 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 unholy, and we cannot embrace that as part of our our green religion. But the fact of the matter is, Eric, we will never get from here to there without nuclear and without a reliable base load power. The fascinating thing to me is I saw this two weeks ago, this schizophrenic approach of this administration, where on Friday they introduce a bunch of new rules uh, that make it far more expensive for my small producers to operate on federal lands, to, to raise, raise prices for us, to produce oil and gas. And on Saturday, the Secretary of Energy says, but we need more supply. So it happened this week on nuclear. Uh, I think it was, I think it was Monday. The president tweeted out by 2035, we're going to have 100% green energy. And yesterday he goes to Arizona and, and puts the largest uranium deposit in the United States off limits and creates a national monument over the top of it. Again, it's this schizophrenic energy policy, which is driven by ideological approach to what is and it isn't, what is and isn't a pure, uh, uh, energy, uh, uh, a pure sort of green New Deal it, type thing. You know? can, can I jump in? Because you, you mentioned Jennifer Granholm, our, our illustrious energy secretary, yeah. with no energy experience whatsoever. I'm none. It reminds me of Hunter Biden getting a million dollar a year gig from Burisma, which is an oil and gas company in Ukraine, with no energy experience either. So Jennifer Granholm, I was shocked to hear this. Number one, the whole idea that she was going to Puerto Rico to help set up solar panels in Puerto Rico and homes. She went five times. Okay, so she likes Puerto Rico, clearly taking a trip <laughs> on the taxpayer dime. But this one bothered me, that she consulted with Chinese Chinese senior advisors uh, to the CCP before they released oil from the SPR. They also sold some of the SPR oil Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which is our national emergency stockpile, sold some of that oil to one of the companies that Hunter Biden was associated with, right. a Chinese company. It's, I mean, they're not even trying to hide the corruption that they're that they're uh, 
you know, allegedly uh, benefiting from. And Eric, can I jump into Tim? I want to point one other thing out. I really want you to talk to this because I think our listeners would learn a lot from this. One of the things that the administration has said many times while they're in front of the White House press corps is that they've given your industry so much. You have a ton of leeway. You have all these permits that you're not using and all this federal land that they've allowed you to drill on. And it's really up to you to take that next step. And they blame the oil and gas companies, the Shells and the BPs and everybody else. And then they blame the oil and gas executives like yourself for raising prices and that they have no hand in this game. And it's up to you to drill baby drill on the land they've already leased to you. Can you speak to that a little bit and make this very clear while this is such a misnomer? Sure. And this is a huge paper cut of which you just poured lemon juice in. So I thank you for that. <laughs> uh, You're welcome. You know, this is, let me just real quick for the listeners. It's the, the federal permitting process is incredibly, uh, incredibly complex. It's a multi-stage process. So I'll run it through it real quick. Okay. It starts off with what's called an expression of interest nomination process. That's basically a wildcat operating off of a, a guess and a hunch and a prayer that there may or may not be oil and gas resources in a particular area. So they take that and they nominate that as as a uh, potential parcel to be leased. That goes through an environmental review and public input. And theoretically, that vetting process is largely over. And that's when the processes are nom- the parcels are nominated, put up for public bid. But that's where the real process actually begins, because what happens is those leases get protested by environmental groups. Some interesting t- statistics in 1998, the Clinton administration sold 7,200 individual lease parcels. They put them up for, for, for nomination, and 1% were protested. In 2020, uh, the Trump administration put up 1,420, so a precipitous drop in federal leasing, and 72% of those leases were protested. And so when you're only getting 25% of the, the leases that are being put in and those lease numbers are dropping every single year, those parcels finally make it through. That's where the fun part begins because that's when the applications for permit to drill process begins. And it's you apply for new conditions, you go through the surveys, the reviews, the studies, the protests, et cetera. And the, the, uh, regu- the regulatory agency may or may not accept your APD. If you're lucky, it's a 180 day process from the time that you file for that APD. If you're not lucky, it's 360 days or never. And when you're paying $60,000 a day to site a rig, waiting for a permit to come through, that is an expensive proposition to do work on federal lands. And that's why the industry stockpiles permits. That's where the administration was beating up on us saying, well, you're not moving fast enough on on, ex- on moving on using your permits. And the fact of the matter is, is we're saying we're not moving fast enough because you're not approving the, 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 the surveys, the archaeological surveys or things like that that we actually need. Uh, it was it was really, really frustrating. The, the other funny thing was funny was that they originally accused us of not using 9,000 permits. Then they came back a year after that and said, by the way, that was an accounting error on our part. We had software problems. It's only 4,000 permits that you're not using. Oh, wow. Yeah, but look, doing work with the federal government, as you know, and on federal lands is an incredibly risky proposition. I I honestly think what they're trying to do is trying to make it so difficult for small producers that it's only a handful of companies who can actually do it. And when you only have a handful of companies who are actually working on federal lands, it makes it much easier to control those companies through the regulatory process. There's the word. There's the word. That's what Democrats are. Listen, free marketeers, conservatives aren't 
overly hung up on control. The Democrat Party, the liberals in power are hung up on It's the only thing they want. They thrive on control. Jennifer Granholm isn't, the, isn't in that seat to become a great energy secretary and to explore and to open up our energy uh, availability to, to make our economy robust and stronger and, and prepared for the next 10 years. She's there to administer the Democrat policy of control, the, the right. moving away from fossil fuel and, and into some sort of green energy. One of the other things we just found out is that she was caught with an investment in a company that benefited directly from an energy policy that 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 the administration passed through. And when she was caught and cornered, she said it was an absent-minded omission on her part. Yeah. Literally investing in a company that was benefiting from, from a policy that change that they had made you, Tim, Linda, me, and everyone listening right now go directly to jail if we were caught doing this, right to jail, insider trading. And for some reason, you work for the government, you get to, you get a free yeah. pass. Absolutely. I think, you know, Secretary Granholm will probably be remembered most for the person who, who oversaw the complete withdrawal of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, 180 million barrels. It, it, that is a classic government play where you have the political appointees who are more than happy to sell off this strategic petroleum reserve and then turn over to the bureaucrats and say, now it's your responsibility to fill it. And that is a, that is a. Uh, so, so this, this is, a, you're, you're touching on something very important because I followed it again, oil background. So SPR 750 million barrels, usually ballpark. We try and keep it around there. A couple of drawdowns in emergency. Uh, Clinton did it. Maybe um, I, I don't know if Obama did it. Trump may have done it once, but it is always replaced. Now, when they started pulling this 100, 150 million barrels out of the SPR, they said, don't worry, we're going to buy it back and fill it when it when oil hits $70 a barrel. I'm scratching my head as a trader going, well, how do you know it's going to hit $70 a barrel? Well, you know, what? it got close. It got down to 72, 75, 70, maybe even 70. Did they ever buy back and refill the Strategic Petroleum Reserve as they promised they would? They put out a proffer for 3 million barrels, which was basically a day Three. and a half withdrawal. And that was it. Three. Three and a half million barrels after taking 180 million out, and industry was saying, "Well, well, let's look at it." And then it was pulled. It was pulled almost immediately. And they even said a few weeks ago, "We don't foresee it that you know that filling refilling the the spro for for years in advance." So we're now at half capacity. You know, that's actually a really interesting geological formation. Those salt caverns. Uh, are not they're actually the structural integrity of them are now in question because the withdrawal was happened so quickly uh we oh, may wow. not only have withdrawn we have sort of withdrawn but we actually may have actually restrict our capacity to this is, this is fascinating hold on just let me explain to people who may be listening we store our a portion of our strategic petroleum reserve in salt caverns salt domes on, underground and so, you're, Tim, you're telling me that it's been stored so long that the, the structural integrity was there because it had volume. Once you pull the volume out of the middle, there may be some cracks in the salt domes that may leak the oil. It's insane how crazy this it, is. It, it, it's a highly geologic complex issue where you have to keep the, the, the caverns pressurized. And they, they didn't, I don't think they accounted for the fact that, that quick of a withdrawal and the structural integrity mm. that was going to be questioned, put in question because of that. So. Yeah, it's not just that we're down 180 million barrels. It's, we, we may be down the ability to store any more than what we have right now. So, And, and I think I think we would be really remiss to our audience if we didn't touch on one more thing as we're wrapping up here. I know we're coming to an end, but 
you know, we had the administration saying that they want to be completely electric with cars. And as you well know, with stoves in our homes, I mean, some as quickly in New York City as in the next five years, you know, cars by 2032. I think there's a real misunderstanding about the fact that all of these electric, you know, go green animals are supported by fossil fuels, which are a finite resource for our nation. I don't think that people fully understand that, not to mention the fact that China is the, the country buying up our lithium mines. So at, at any given point in time, anywhere in the United States, there is a 60% chance that your electricity is being, gen- is being generated by fossil fuel, coal or natural gas. It doesn't matter what region you're in or anywhere. And if you look at those price or you look at those uh, usage spikes during the day, uh, that baseload power is really, really uh, important. And it's just not realistic to assume that we make that go away. You know, you mentioned China. I hate to do this, but can I? Because uh, I've got a lot of questions over the last few weeks about Hunter Biden and China and his role in the U.S. oil and gas perspective. You know, in 2008, when um, during the, <clears throat> the first uh, Obama first term of the Obama administration, the Chinese were very, very aggressive in trying to um, in trying to acquire U.S oil and gas assets. There were a lot of master limited partnerships and joint ventures that were put together with Chinese companies. And the U.S. companies learned very, very quickly that China is not a reliable investment partner. It is a one-way street. And it is what is good for China is only good for China and nobody else. And so a lot of those partnerships, those ventures fell apart. And um, that only happened over the course of a couple of years. Uh, I think when you look at the Hunter Biden, the whole sort of what was his role with China and things like that, that was Hunter and his investment buddies coming, and they did not catch the crest of the way they came behind. When the U.S. Uh, oil and gas industry was much less willing and much more reticent to do business with China. And so they came in and said, well, we can fix that. We can, we can use our political connections to make sure that U.S. companies are willing to invest with you in the United States. And that's why you see a lot of that that, well, here's my Chinese uh, investment company, and we're going to do the raise here in the United States, but they missed the wave, and, and yet they still got paid their, their massive fees and did not produce. Uh, it's influence peddling of the worst kind, and, and I, I just want people to understand that the U.S. oil and gas industry did not want to we, – we learned our lesson early, despite what uh, the big guy was trying to make us do in those, those post-2012, 2014 years, so – Yeah, and as you you probably know, just this week, we just got from the House Oversight Committee that the Bidens, they now have the paper trail of the $20 million that has been traced to the oligarchs from foreign nationals like China, like Kazakhstan, like Russia. Did did you hear the latest one that that Comer just released? Comer just released one where there's there's a transfer from uh, Kazakhstan. I think it was Kazakhstan. It's Kazakhstan. But this one, for $142,300 to to Archer and Hunter's business, Mm -hmm. whatever it was called, the exact amount, that same amount, $142,300 was was the following day transferred to a, a, a sports car company to purchase a sports car. It's probably I mean, parked in Biden's house in Delaware. A hundred billion percent. It's I, ridiculous. I, you can't make this stuff up. You, know, you just can't. And the fact of the matter is, is, is the oil and gas business is very complex and the oil and gas trading business is even more complex. With yes. all due respect, Hunter and his, his uh, buddies 
are a bunch of no talent clowns who have no business being in this industry. And uh, the fact that we are somehow getting dragged into it is really offensive to me. So I just had to say that. I appreciate it. Let me get on that little soapbox there. So, Well, Tim, we can't thank you enough for being with us today. Honestly, we can't wait to have you back because I have no doubt that the Bidens will keep screwing up energy and we'll have more things to discuss. Not the least of which is the fact that now we're getting most of our supply from countries that do it far dirtier than us, like Russia and Venezuela and everybody else. So thank you so much. We're going to keep our eyes on hands off my stove and I uh, can't wait to have you back again. Thanks for joining us, Tim Stewart. It's great being with you. Thanks. Thank you. Don't forget The Balance uh, Newsmax every night at 8 and ericbowling.com. 